HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Life's a Banquet, a podcast about all things edible, spreadable, and pourable with me, your host, Alanis Morissette. And your host, Alana Glazer. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Two Alanis adjacent people. Now, folks, before we get started with the show, Armin, our producer, Armin, hello. Nicole, you missed this part. He was speaking to me a bit about gerbils at one point um, <laughs> yes, before well. the show started. And then we pivoted quickly to talking about the first legal weed dispensary in New York. Armin, who opened it? Housing Works. Housing Works, America's favorite thrift store. Um, but then the really interesting part is that you said all of the illegally operated weed dispensaries around New York City are serving up weed covered in excrement. Yeah, that's doo-doo caca. <laughs> doo-doo. Okay, doo-doo is also um, fertilizer. Well, so, usually that's like animal doo-doo. This is like, I don't know, probably human doo-doo. Probably human, human doo-doo. <laughs> probably human doo-doo. To be specific, they found like E. coli and salmonella like covered on the on the weed. Yeah, but if you oh. catch weed on fire, doesn't that pretty much eradicate the... Uh, yeah bacteria yeah and you know so it's probably fine and like anybody who's you know bought weed in their life from not a dispensary has probably gotten poopy weed um yeah and anyone who's ever eaten a psychedelic mushroom has gotten a horse shit covered mushroom so like personally i'm not troubled by this okay fine that's fine but then it also brings me to the other thing that we were talking about the greatest rumor ever created similarly to the gerbil story and the poop story where they all intersect richard gear <laughs> and the gerbil story oh my goodness yeah what about it 
well, we were talking about it. And it just dawned on me that it endures. This has been a rumor that's been going around for 40 years, this poor man. Somebody said he put a gerbil in his butt, allegedly. And 40, here we are 40 years later talking about it. And I just want to say, I think it would be impossible. Gerbils are very big. They have claws. And Richard Gere, as everybody knows, has a notoriously tight butthole. Their, their claws are actually pretty flimsy. And they kind of like, they fall off, you know? So. <laughs> oh, well, this makes it easier. Off. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, so do their tails. To be fair, well. I think we are the only people who repeatedly on this podcast, especially bring up the gerbil story. Most of America, including Richard Gere, have probably forgotten all about it. <laughs> Richard Gere cannot forget about it. He has the scars to prove it. All right, let's get into this episode. Armin, goodbye. All right, see ya. Just see ya. <laughs> Thank you. You're the best. <laughs> so I have an animal sh- story that I would like to share with everyone listening to the show. Mike Sala, that means you. Nicole, I had an animal interaction this week. Interesting. During COVID. <laughs> Do you want to hear about it? Uh, I guess. <laughs> okay. Picture it. Here I am. I'm at home. I'm sitting out of my window having a cigarette as I sometimes like to do. Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden, up my fire escape, I see a tiny paw climbing up the ladder. Now, my fire escape isn't a series of stairs. It's like a one rung ladder that like it begins like four feet off the ground of the first floor. Right. Um, so then I see. greatly functional fire escape. No, no. Um, you really have to want to escape to get out of this thing if it's on fire. But anyway, I digress. Then comes a very pointy nose and then two little black eyes. And I go, ah! and I scream. And this thing, as it's trained to do, it's defense mechanism in life. It's a possum, an yeah, opossum, I'm sorry. It freezes. Oh. It freezes. And what an opossum does when it is scared is it goes into a coma for like 25 minutes. <laughs> Well, they also hiss at you sometimes if they're not little, you know, cowardly possums. Yeah. Well, this was an opossum with very little backbone, but I, it like froze. So then I have this like frozen opossum that's just like paralyzed by fear. It is huge, dude. This thing weighed like, I'm not sure, 50 or 60 pounds. It was like <laughs> the size of a dog. So pointy, so <laughs> evil. And... I looked up immediately, what does an opossum mean? And it's supposed to be a good sign, obviously. Um, But I was terrified of it. And I I stood there tapping on the glass, which I think only made it stay for longer. I was so curious, like, why is this opossum here? This is so bizarre. Then it got the, it summoned the courage to creep away back into the night. And it has been on my mind for a while until this morning when I was looking out on my porch and I noticed a few chunks of something, which I had thought maybe was just like debris or like, I don't know, plant matter or something. It's roast pork. <laughs> what? That's right. There's a bunch of roast pork all over my porch. I don't know how it got there, if my neighbors threw it, if like an eagle was flying above with it and then it dropped it. But there was a bunch of roast pork, and that's, I think, what the opossum came to, to retrieve. So you should have let him, because I don't want to retrieve that. Well, I swept it off the, off the porch, but like, how did the roast pork get on to, and there was like a bunch of flies and I'm like oh this is wild this, only in New York am I right yes <laughs> you are right <laughs> so I know that you probably see a lot more opossums and raccoons and the like where you live in the countryside but Not to really. me this was very concerning have you ever seen an opossum in New York City yeah I have um I see them 
in they like come up they like to chill out by the restaurant trash area where I work. And I feel like in many restaurant trash areas. Yes. Um also raccoons love that whole scene as well. Well, then I saw a video yesterday on Instagram. Um, you know, and there's just like random videos pop up or whatever if you're searching. <laughs> and yes. it was of this like it must have been caught on the security camera at these people's house and there was a girl coming home from school and a fucking giant raccoon in the daylight, obviously it had rabies, lunged at this girl and started mm-hmm. biting her ankle and then her mom heard. So she like ran out, ripped the raccoon off of her daughter and then the raccoon like just attached itself to like her arm biting and clawing and she kept trying to like throw it off and it like wouldn't get off of her. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is the most fucking scary thing that can ever happen in life. And now she has rabies, which is fucked up. Can you, what would you do if a raccoon attacked you? Now I'm, that's all I can think about. Well, I would have to get a really expensive rabies shot because I don't have health insurance. Right. Yeah. Thanks, you Obama. have to get a rabies shot. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, any animal sightings in your life? What's your week been like? Um, no, I don't have any more animal sightings. The cat I was watching last week has gone back to its parents' house. Um, how, so how I'm all feel? alone here, but my plants are so much happier now that a cat's not eating them all the time. You're an empty nester. Yes. I have to get some hobbies. I have to do um, Tai Chi, I think. That's what the old people are always doing in those medicine commercials, right? Yes, that's exactly right. They <laughs> love doing Tai Chi. Take Celexa to improve your Tai Chi. It may cause anal leakage. Yeah. Could happen to you. Um, no animal sightings. I did make a life decision on a whim okay and i bought flared jeans wow i know and are you wearing them right now no i'm not they're kind of tight so in the early morning hour they don't want to wriggle into them um but yeah they're cute they're like they look great i look great i look tall when i wear them i i had flashbacks of course obviously to previous times in my life when they were really in style and it's a little like is this in style is it for me I don't know it feels like a bold choice to walk around in flares but I'm doing it although the guy I'm dating was like I hate flares and I'm like you have no well you just have it doesn't matter what you think basically I told him (laughs) that's exactly right that is exactly right. Scream that from the mountaintops. I just got in, like a, a massive amount of like PTSD when you talked mm. about flared jeans because it brings yeah, me back so much to being in like eighth grade and that feeling of like wanting to like fit in and look cool. And you know, the flared jeans that I remember the most are mud jeans. Do you remember mud jeans? Yeah. Uh-huh. Are yeah, these I mud? A... No, they are from old Navy. Sorry, fast fashion haters, but I'm poor. Well, I'm interested in seeing them. I think that sounds amazing. I bought a bunch of stuff this week on the internet, which like normally I kind of <laughs> Ooh, like did create you buy a that pink suit. No, I didn't buy the pink suit yet, but I'm going to. So I bought a bunch of stuff. I pulled the trigger on like ordering, which normally my style is to like, which I think a lot of people do, put a lot of stuff in a cart. I'm just, I am having terrible anxiety. So I look around for things I could buy to make it better, which everyone knows absolutely works. Definitely does. <laughs> totally works. Um, and so I got a bunch of stuff and I got like some skims this weekend. I just want to put you on blast, Kim Kardashian, because I know you're listening. The v- vagina area in your <laughs> bodysuits and stuff is not meant for like any person who actually has a vagina. Like 
It's like the most, it's like a thong on both sides. And I'm not sure why. So it's funny because they respond. famously have like big labias over there in the Kardashian well, household. I don't know. Maybe, I, I, maybe I'm wearing it backwards, but I'm just <laughs> like, what is this? Like who would be able to wear this? You know what I mean? Like no one. Yeah. Um, also not comfy. Not comfy and like not like reasonable. And I just don't understand. Like, did nobody <laughs> test this stuff before? I'm not saying like, oh, it's like a little skimpy. I'm like dead up. Like it's a double-sided thong. So um huh. please respond and answer why you're trying to sell people like eighty dollar double-sided thongs. So I just have Maybe to return it. Maybe you're supposed it. to wear underpants underneath it. Under your underpants. Two pairs. When, that's the whole scam. They want you to buy underpants to wear under your underpants. <laughs> and I think that's It's rude. a pyramid yeah. scheme. I'm opting out. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's great. Well, now I don't have to buy skims because they really do advertise to me quite a lot on Instagram.com. I know. They're really target-adding us. Um, did anything interesting happen this week with Ben Affleck, who we promised months ago we weren't going to talk about anymore, but obviously we're just addicted to him? I'm just too lazy to look up any other celebrities. Um, like okay. every time I'm like, okay, I could I could find some other celebrity, but then you'd have to think of a celebrity. Oh, well, David Crosby died. I know. Well, old. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's in his eighties. I was thinking about this on my way to get coffee, and I was like, well, I mean, obviously Crosby, Stills, and Nash, great, good job. Had a kid with. Um, Melissa Etheridge. Melissa Etheridge. And as far as I know, no sexual harassment allegations. Right? Brava. Brava. (laughs) You know, for a man his age, in his position, pretty rare. (laughs) And I could be wrong. I didn't do any research about it. (laughs) Allegedly. And Um, also, now that he's dead, who knows who's going to come out of the woodworks. That's true. But like, you know, to be, to live that kind of life, a life of a rock and roll star and live to 81, I always think is like better than a regular person's 81. Like 81 might be young for a normal person, but having had that, like, you know, that life, 81 seems really old. Yeah. Pretty old. Yeah. Cause he, I'm sure smoked cigarettes at least part of his lifetime. Definitely did pots. Um, but I actually also, always think about he did a duet with phil collins it's very cheesy and really when i was like 13 when it came out i was like obsessed with the song and it is not good not good but do you sing a little bit of it for us right now no i will not but you guys if you all have the time (laughs) you should look check it out in honor of david crosby and phil collins who is still alive and the father of lily collins we'll do it so, any Ben Affleck news? Oh, no. Just the um, J-Lo explained on Jimmy Kimmel recently that she, the reason why she and Ben eloped to Las Vegas instead of getting married in Georgia, as they originally planned, was because she was having PTSD that he was going to leave her at the last minute like he did before. So she drug him to Las Vegas. Like he did on Sex and Where they presumably tipped terribly. <laughs> Wild. Um, also, I'm like, cute. okay, how far in the planning stages did you guys get on this Georgia wedding? It's like, you're not going to get a refund on that stuff. Not that it matters because you have all the money in the world. But I'm like, were you guys like, did you already pay for the venue? Did you already pay for the flowers? Did you already pay for the wedding planner? 
yeah, they already like paid for their Dunkin' all Munchkin wedding cake that oh they my just God, had to yeah. throw in the trash. They're fucking Munchkin pull apart wedding cake. <laughs> <laughs> now trending on TikTok. Um, but I was so I've been watching <laughs> really depressing documentaries um, because it's winter time and it's, you should not be happy in the winter. Only sad. So I'm now watching the Ken Burns documentary about the United States and the Holocaust. And it is fucked up. First of all, the United States has no redeeming qualities. It never has, except for the times before it was colonized. Um, But yeah, so basically as things were starting to get fucked up for Jewish people before the war, you know, there was a ramping up period. Um, the United States wouldn't let in any of them in. <laughs> like wow, we were cool. at the time we were blocking immigration for pretty much everyone. It was our passion project because the United States has gotten really into eugenics and talking about how, you know, Eastern Europeans were a lesser race because they were poor and didn't speak English. So <laughs> um yeah. yeah. So as a result at a time when it would be possible for a lot of Jewish people to like easily escape, you know, like just like get out of town. We were like, simply, no, you cannot come in. <laughs> so terrible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hardcore anti-Semitism was pretty much the norm then. And even though we had like the largest population of Jewish people already in New York city, then there was anywhere else. Well, that sounds uplifting. Um, so Yeah. That's all depressing. I do like that Ken Burns is totally just like, you know what? The United States is fucked up, you guys. <laughs> yes. It's like the people's history of the United States also. But Ken Burns, you know, seemingly like a guy who's like, I'm into America. I made a baseball documentary. Is like, you know what? The U.S. sucks. Right. He's like, take this. Any relation to Mr. Burns from The Simpsons? I don't know. I've never even looked at what Ken Burns looks like. Imagine he looked exactly like Mr. Burns. <laughs> He's based on the character of Mr. Burns. <laughs> He's based on the character of Mr. Burns, not the other way around. Amazing. Um, so yeah, everyone, if you want to feel depressed, um, check it out. Sounds great. I'm going to go queue it up right now. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So let's jump into our topic. Um, The topic today, you guessed it, as Nicole just alluded to, is the Holocaust. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's going to be funny, so just hold on to your butts. Yeah. Um, today's topic is a continuation kind of on last week when we had a loose topic, but we were talking kind of about new restaurants, and we talked a bit about Noma, which at one time was a new restaurant, right? And now yes, we're going to jump we're going to jump back again in history. So my idea a couple of weeks ago, when we thought of this topic was to um, talk to you all, Nicole, Mike Sala, Armin, the four of us um, mm-hmm. about new restaurants of yesteryear. And so I'm going to now word for word, read you <laughs> two different restaurant reviews of some of the most famous restaurants of all time. That's right. You guessed it. Union Square Cafe wow. and Mesa Grill. So these were both written by the restaurant reviewer at the time, Brian Miller, who really seems to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder, shall we say. (laughs) But I just think it's funny thinking about how, like, we talked about, like, new restaurants, like, then versus now, and even, like, what was exciting, because, I don't know, there's just, it seems like everyone's trying to, like, one-up each other, Um, but there was, like, still some of that back then, but it was much simpler, you know, like you could make like paella at a restaurant and it was like completely shocking. So here we go. <laughs> Mr. Brian Miller, thank you. I'm going to take snippets from each of these reviews and read them to you. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, this is where restaurateur and uh, man about town, Danny Meyer, began his empire here at Union Square Cafe. And you guessed it, New York's Union Square. The restaurant opened in 1985. This review is from 1986. <clears throat> it begins, and I quote, The recently spruced up Union Square area has become fertile ground for a new crop of restaurants. I'm already laughing because. (laughs) Yes, go ahead. You're going to laugh your way through this. I'm picturing a non-spruced up Union Square is impossible for me because I didn't move there until the early 2000s. But um, (laughs) it's just funny the way he says spruced up. So he's talking about gentrification (laughs) In Union Square, which like most of New York in 1986 was like in somewhat of like a disorganized state. Yeah, sure, 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 definitely. There was no Barnes and Noble in Union Square. Not this time. Mm -mm. No, 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 no Sephora, nothing. No Forever 21. Union Square Cafe, an inviting low-key newcomer on the site of the former Brownies, a health food restaurant, that is confusing, is one of the most appealing of the lot. Unlike so many of the new stadium-sized establishments with decibel levels rivaling those of Madison Square Garden, (laughs) this three-month-old restaurant is designed on a human scale, which allows for that rarest of commodities nowadays, that's right, civilized conversation. Okay, buddy. (laughs) If you want civilized conversation, go back to the suburbs, okay, dude? That's exactly right, Brian, with a Y. You're going to laugh at this more than you did at the Holocaust documentary. I'm just warning you. (laughs) (laughs) On entering, you pass a long, handsome bar where a changing roster of sparkling fresh oysters is served atop iced seaweed with black bread and butter. Sparkling? Yes, sparkling fresh oysters. Okay, so I guess they're just damp, right? (laughs) Right, the the light is catching... The wetness. They're That's not right. glittery. <laughs> great, great, great lighting. Great. Uh, in the back, a cozy room with double height ceiling and a winsome, a winsome mural painted on the wall. The main dining room is characterized by simple rustic touches, kind lighting, and well-spaced tables. This guy is hard for Union Square Cafe. Kind lighting is LOL. <laughs> I know. 
Now let's get into the food, shall we? Okay. Okay. He fucking loves it here. He has a couple of qualms, but this, he loves it here. The food, like the decor, is genuine and eclectic. The menu of boyish-looking chef, Allie Baker, formerly of La Cote Basque, straddles the border between France and Italy. I like that they called him boyish. I guess he was at one time. Um, this leads some to unlikely juxtapositions. It's possible to begin with a boldly seasoned spaghetti alla puntanesca, generous with coarse chunks of olives, garlic paired with anchovies, capers, tomatoes, then move on to a French classic, such as a crusty confit of duck flanked by garlic potatoes and chicory salad. That's a weird way to eat there. You would start off with spaghetti? I mean, well, I mean, pasta? I guess... Yeah, I mean, like, I guess in Italy, like, a pre, if you're going yeah. pre-me, and then I don't know. But, like, it's just interesting sure. to me because we've gone all these different directions, right? Like, that is such a basic thing that was, like, so interesting then, right? Then food yes. gets, like, crazy. But then it now it kind of comes back to, like, puntanesca and garlic and uh, duck confit in a restaurant would be, like, lovely. But because it's, like, a throwback to being simple, right? Like, right. Sure, sure, sure. It's just and the lighting funny. is so kind. And the light and the way the oyster sparkle will make you wet, <clears throat> wet for chefs. <laughs> um, <laughs> another rousing dish is seafood risotto, a garlic ah, yes. based, everybody's favorite. To be honest, I don't really seafood risotto is like not my favorite thing. And yeah, but you have to remember it's 1986. <laughs> that's true, and this is blowing people's motherfucking minds. There's I'm pieces sorry, of mine everywhere i know he's eating a lot of stuff because he's reviewing the restaurant but this is a hilarious group of foods to eat <laughs> absolutely i mean he also ate parpadelli with zucchini i just skipped that part <laughs> what <laughs> um okay another rousing dish is seafood risotto or risotto as my mom likes to say a sure. garlic laced combination of shrimp calamari tomatoes garlic and shrimp stock yes the same goes Classic. for a little classic little pasta tubes and a light cream sauce emboldened with sweet eggplant pancetta and hot red peppers little pasta tubes eh yeah didn't bother to ask for the name he was like i have never seen this before i can't look up what it is i know that it's the first time it's ever been seen they invented this at the union square cafe yeah there's no way to find out i mean pre-internet how did you you would have to go to the library to look up pictures of pasta he would have to go to like the encyclopedia of pasta, yeah. And like that hasn't like been written yet. <laughs> Diner oh, this is a this is unfortunate. Diners at my table were less than enthralled with the daily seafood terrines, one made with salmon and green beans, the other with sole diced with sole and diced vegetables. While the flavors were right, too much cream in the mixture gave them the texture of baby food. Hmm. Hmm. Seafood terrine. Also, it's so much seafood is happening, but that's fine. It was the 80s and, you know, whatever. But they, yeah, they were eating all the fish out of the green water. green beans, is that normal? Do they do that in France? I'm not sure. I've not seen it before. I could picture it being good, but you certainly don't want like a terrine to ever be the texture of baby food. And in fact, no. the thought of it makes me feel sick. <laughs> me too. Um, lobster ravioli and a, again, the fucking seafood, lobster ravioli and a Pernod creme fraiche sauce was tasty, but marred by thick, chewy dough. One of the side dishes, bruschetta with roasted peppers, is so good it should be considered an appetizer. Simple and delicious, it combines garlic rub, toasted bread with sweet peppers. Okay, so are we saying that in the year 1986, people did not consider bruschetta an appetizer? 
I mean, yeah, like where did it, like, I don't understand, like, where did it appear in the menu as an entree or dessert? An entree or dessert? <laughs> Very strange, right? Okay, the most unusual dish on the menu was the marinated filet mignon of tuna. Recommended for fish lovers only, this whale-sized slab of florid whale, tuna. Whale-sized? Uh, I guess whales were probably, like most of America, slimmer in the 80s, but I don't, <laughs> don't think. <laughs> I think it was probably tuna-sized, because tuna oh. are pretty. Big Brian, right? Um, Tunas are already big, and I love how this how Brian with a Y writes recommended for fish lovers only. Like, who if you didn't love fish, why would you order fish? And also, why would you already have had the seafood risotto? I mean, obviously, and the lobster ravioli and the fucking green bean salmon mousse. Like, <laughs> this is just wild. Okay, so he goes on Ooh. to write uh, this whale size. Slab. <laughs> a florid tuna. This is like some of the most aggressive writing I've ever heard. It is seared on the outside and progressively rare towards the center. The core is virtually warm sushi. This is the first time this person has ever experienced a piece of grilled tuna. I think that maybe that's right though, because it's just so pervasive now. Like it's especially in Indiana, you can find seared tuna no matter where you are. Um, totally. But- um, I guess in 1986, you know, it was a novelty. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck is this? It's so big. Is this how big a whale is? I've never seen a whale, but I'm assuming <laughs> this is the size of one. <laughs> Eight ounces. <laughs> Look at this. Is this whale? <laughs> is yeah, it the- illegal to serve whale? I thought it's a tuna. It's so big. It must be a whale. You know, I'm not a fish lover, I guess, because I thought this was a whale. <laughs> I'm having a whale of a good time. <laughs> well, they really can whale. Remember Wayne's World? <laughs> I you like that it really says whale. on the menu, uh, maybe not on the menu, but the waiter has to be like, this is for fish lovers only. <laughs> and oh you have to God. prove that you love fish somehow. Prove it. eat this raw still squirming baby octopus before we let you order this whale steak (laughs) reach your hand in the lobster tank and rip off its head okay (laughs) one awkward fish preparation was the sauteed sole with lardones shallots and thyme the smoky ham masked the flavor of the fragile sole first of all lardones are not ham sir how did you get this job where is very unclear (laughs) Nepo baby. But also I like that he's like, I mean, true soul is delicate in flavor, but he's like the fragile soul. (laughs) The fragile soul was ruined by the ham and did not look anything like a whale. Maybe it was dolphin. mm -hmm. Also, I like that he's like, okay, (laughs) you don't have to be a fish lover to order this because there's ham in it. Then I moved on to the raw goldfish. (sighs) Um, Okay. Among the meat and fowl dishes, which is like nobody describes poultry as fowl anymore, which I think they should because fowl sounds funny because it sounds bad. Um, Or the options are nicely grilled lamb steak, rare grilled duck breast with warm green olives and garlic confit, and a beefy rosemary scented black Angus club steak. Venison, a Wednesday special, was over marinated and mushy. (laughs) 
huh. mushy. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not sure if this guy understands anything, to be completely honest. So was yeah. the mushroom polenta that came with it. It is mushy, right? Polenta is one of the, like, I mean, that's one of yeah. its defining characteristics of it being good. It has to be mushy. Well, maybe he's never had it before. So he thought it, he was like, I, this should be cornbread. <laughs> this guy is just like all over the fucking shop. <laughs> These poor servers are just like, you know, in the, the kitchen. I just imagine like, uh, Brian, he sent back, unfortunately, the polenta said it was too mushy and he didn't like the whale. <laughs> the whale was too rare. <laughs> he was wondering if maybe you gave him the blowhole. Uh, yeah. And he also was like, not that into the ham. But we sent him with the soul. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, I just love the food critic, like, digging through his dish and be like, what is this, ham? <laughs> <laughs> Look at all this ham on my soul. <laughs> God, I love Brian. What a fun guy. Oh, God. Okay, we're almost through with this. Union Square Cafe is a delightful place for lunch. You can get anything from freshly ground hamburger to and good French fries along with zippy black bean soup <laughs> made with duck and veal stock to a rosy salmon steak and red wine sauce colored with saffron potatoes and carrots. This doesn't make sense to me. I have to be honest. A rosy, oh, rosy salmon steak. Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, it is going to be rosy. Sure. <laughs> But in a red wine sauce colored with saffron and potatoes and carrots. So how do you color a red wine sauce with saffron? You're going to put a lot in there. I'm so confused. <laughs> this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. To be honest, he is so confused. For dessert, well, so also, go... What color would that even be? It's colored with saffron. It's saying. brown. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It, you would, I don't think he knows what he's eating. Like... I do like a zippy black bean soup, though. I would like to have some of that right now. Yeah, me too. I'm pretty hungry. For dessert, go with a thin-crusted apple tart, Italian pear tort in a cornmeal crust, or a fudge-like ganache cake with hazelnuts. My favorite finale to a meal there, though, is a glass of sweet vino santo with almond biscuits. And he wrote vino santo instead of vin santo. Just saying. Uh, dunking it is not only allowed, but expected. One oh, star. What? <laughs> what? Why does he mean allowed? Like, are there places in the 80s where they prevent you from dunking? They just like, like risk. no dunking! <laughs> hey! Or it's like frowned upon, the servers come over and like glare at you. I guess that probably is the case at some fancy places. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to read all his things that he wrote, like in the aftermath, but he wrote service, young, enthusiastic, and well-informed about the food. Sudden rushes of customers can lead to a slow pace. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Brian, 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 Brian. Okay. Now on to another review by Brian Miller, who is somehow still employed by the New York times in 1991, <laughs> five years later. <laughs> <laughs> so he begins by talking about the 21 Club, which is not a new restaurant. So we're going to move away from that. But, oh, because he's talking about, I guess, Michael LaMonaco took over the kitchen at 21 Club. Um, but then in the same article, he moves on to talking about, here we go. Okay. The 21 Club has uh, renewed vigor after all its ill-fated experiments with Frenchification, judging from the nightly crowds and the quality of his cook of the cooking now, one need not to fret over the frail uncle. I don't know what that means. Mesa Grill is a sign of the times. 
<laughs> He's just like, oh yeah, Twenty One Club, French Twenty One Club okay. is a frail <laughs> uncle. Don't fret about it. Taking down for Michael Monaco, who famously was at the helm of Windows on the World uh, at nine eleven and narrowly escaped being killed. Um, and he seems like a nice guy, but Mesa Grill, it's a sign of the times that an elegant and moderately expensive restaurant called Sophie went under last year while its replacement, uh, the Southwestern spot called Mesa Grill that turns out entrees under $20 is booming. But it's not only the price that accounts for the popularity. Okay, this is really gonna make you LOL. The sassy- Hold on. <laughs> yes, go Hold ahead. Hold on. Go ahead. The sign of the times it's funny to me because 1991 is like the, the economy is doing good, doing well. <laughs> he right. doesn't even know what's about to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. God, imagine if Brian is, Miller is alive now. And if he's not, he's rolling in his grave. Brian, call into the show if you're still with us. <laughs> okay, okay, go on. Now let's fucking dive into this because this is motherfucking hilarious. The sassy Tex-Mex fair at Mesa Grill surpasses anything of its kind elsewhere in New York City. Sassy. (laughs) Thank you, New York Times. We talk so much shit about you, but you've given us this review. And for that, we'll be forever grateful. And also, (laughs) this is terribly written. I have to like actually redo the punctuation of this. The sassy Tex-Mex fair at Mesa Grill surpasses anything of its kind elsewhere in New York City, period. And the sizzling social scene characterized by <laughs> loose-fitting Italian suits, ubiquitous ponytails, and more exposed legs than Churchill Downs further what? stokes the campfires. I mean, that is true. That is actually a good vision of 90s fashion, for sure. Totally. But like... It's just so funny because he's writing it in the moment. It's almost like this would be a little bit like more just on the nose and like less hilarious if he wasn't like writing it in the moment. It's also funny to me because I'm reading um, American Glamour. Psycho. What? Oh, that's so funny. I guess that you're reading Glamorama. Yeah, and it's like literally like that little snippet of writing is like that entire book. <laughs> well, totally. I think that's why I said American Psycho because this sounds like something yeah. that. Uh, which, which one call it? What is his Brad name? Easton Ellis. Brad Easton Ellis, yes. I was going to say J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was through words. Okay. Um, and it also sounds like American Psycho, like the writing that I'm talking mm-hmm. about, like Dorothea, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I've tried unsuccessfully to grasp the message of the decor. What is one to make of the red final banquettes with the cowboy and cactus motif? Or ten- <laughs> it's Tex-Mex. Dude, what do you mean? <laughs> this guy is brand new, right? Like, he's I, like, I think he's also like, everything. He's like, I'm trying to grasp the big four. Like, don't touch this up, dude. <laughs> he's, they're like, he's like, and I prickled myself with by grabbing onto a cactus. And a live cactus. <laughs> Um, or tenement green walls in one area, brightly yellow walls in another, airplane hangar industrial fans, giant blow-ups of black and white photographs, one of a 1922 dime. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard I'm going to pass out. <laughs> also, has he ever even been in a restaurant before? <laughs> totally, <this>? but also... <laughs> is the year 1991 the first time 
black and white blow up photographs were used in a restaurant. <laughs> I don't know, but it's like, I don't know what's funnier, his shock and awe or the fact that there's a giant photograph of a 1922 dime on the wall of Mesa Grill. I know, it's pretty hilarious, but now there's <sighs> one in every restaurant in America. <laughs> Another of a rose superimposed on a gritty factory scene, question mark. The only term that comes to mind is affected. Okay. Add to this the echoing pop music and you have, well, it's not the kind of place you want to go with a romantic proposition in mind. Okay, so you don't want to propose to anyone near a bunch of cacti. <laughs> Do not propose to someone under the big di- the big dime. <laughs> You're going to have a whale of a good time at me, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's still talking about whale. He's like, and then I had the uh, wasabi crusted whale tacos. <clears throat> okay. He's like, the then food. That, that blow up picture of a dime was hung over Dime Square. And now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we got the name Dime Square. Um, the food by Bobby Flay, formerly of the Miracle Girl, is intelligently balanced and colorful. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this, to be honest. Typical of his style is the rare grilled tuna. AKA oh, now he knows what it is. Five years later, he's an expert on this. He's <laughs> like, I love tuna. It's not whale. <laughs> <laughs> Typical of his style, the rare, rare grilled tuna along with a tostada holding black beans and sweet mango salsa. Oh no, poor mango salsa. <laughs> <laughs> all under an avocado vinaigrette, all three taste sensations gallop across the plate in succession. Nice. I like mango salsa. My mom still makes it. And to be honest, it's pretty delicious, but No, I know. That's why I hilarious. said poor mango salsa, because it I really know. got, you know, wrung out to death. I know. <laughs> I'm nice. gonna bring it back, actually. I think I'm gonna make mango salsa next week at the pop. You should do it, yeah. Two other winners are pulpy and spicy white bean and roasted tomato soup and moist. First of all, sorry, we all know not to put moist in print, okay? And moist. Pulpy and spicy, also not the most like tasty adjectives. Pulpy, spicy white bean roasted tomato soup and moist blue corn encrusted salmon cakes uh, enhanced with a pineapple and tomato salsa. <laughs> uh, fruit salsa having a good time <laughs> uh, my favorite is the exceptional tamale holding the moist again with the moist two times in two sentences cornmeal shrimp and roasted garlic well at least he knows that cornmeal can be not mushy or that mushy cornmeal is allowed to exist for him now which is good i know god he's changed so much and so have we um Waitresses and waiters wearing cowboy shirts and jeans maintain a steady pace at Mesa Grill, despite the crowds. The wine list is well-chosen and slightly unconventional and affordable. (sighs) Okay, power, power. (laughs) Among the main courses, grilled swordfish is moist. (laughs) (laughs) Who is the editor of this piece? How did this happen? How did this happen? If he says it again, I'm going to do suicide. Among the main courses, a grilled swordfish is moist and delicious, served with cilantro pesto and well-seasoned vegetables. Grilled no shrimp fruit salsa? <laughs> not on not on this puppy. Surprisingly, 
Grilled strip steak is nicely charred and tender, paired with a mildly spicy red chili mustard and straw potatoes. What is that? Red chili mustard. I'm intrigued. My God, the 90s. Bobby Flay, what are you doing to us? <laughs> so many sauces. Imagine these poor fucking prep cooks in the 1991. They make like 425 an hour. They're making like 87 different fucking sauces. It's crazy. 87 different <sighs> kinds of fruit salsa. <laughs> I'm in the weeds. My blueberry salsa is not ready and my strawberry <laughs> mustard is just too thin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even ask me about my papaya gastrique. It's all over the place. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. A remarkable preparation is the blue corn coated fried chicken salad. Oh my God. Wow. The meat is exceedingly tender and kind and spiked. Not moist. <laughs> he did say tender now, though, twice. He said it about the steak and about the fried chicken salad. <sighs> the meaty, exceedingly. The meat is exceedingly tender and the cayenne-spiced buttermilk dressing adds the right edge of mixed greens and sliced, sliced, sweet, bleh, sliced sweet peppers. That's ranch, buddy. <sighs> Loin lamb chops with jalapeno preserves and sweet potato gratin is, is homey, but the pork chops were dry on two occasions. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, we're, <laughs> this is almost over. We can go back to our real lives. Just get through it, Tangora. The chef's tasty variation on the Mexican stew pozole contains giant sea scallops, tiny clams, shrimp, hominy, and vegetables not mirrored in a dark, spicy broth that is made with reduced shellfish stock fired up with not one, but two kinds of peppers, anche, ancho, and chipotle. By comparison, the red snapper roasted in a banana leaf with red curry sauce has little distinction. Also, that does not sound... (laughs) Mexican or South Boston. <laughs> that is Thai, sir. Um, <laughs> it's vegan. Okay. My eyes are actually hurting, and I feel like I'm getting a migraine from reading this. Desserts are better than anything I've had with one, in 100 miles of the Rio Grande. <laughs> Where he's obviously never been because he's never seen a Tex-Mex restaurant before. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Gingerbread ice cream sandwich and Bunello's deep fried dough implanted in vanilla ice cream with chocolate sauce. So I'm I'm curious. The gingerbread ice cream sandwich and the Bunello's, the dough, all were inside more <laughs> they ice were cream? implanted in there. <laughs> they were like breast implants. <laughs> oh, my God. The immediate success of Mesa Girl just demonstrates that even in the gloomy times, the right formula diligently executed can lead to su- can succeed. To that end, Mesa Grill is a paradigm. Two twenty one club, two stars. What Mesa Grill got more stars than the Union Square Cafe? Yes. Now I want to read you service, professional and attentive, recommended dishes. Hold on to your butts. Crab cakes, blue prawns with couscous. Wild mushroom ravioli in duck consomme, gravlocks, bean soup, red snapper over black olives and anchovy paste, grilled Dover sole peppered tuna steak, rack of lamb with lemon scented orzo, pan roasted quail with couscous, rice pudding, apple pie, strawberry shortcake, cappuccino profiteroles. What? That was at the Mesa Grill? Maybe that he, oh no, wait a minute. 
he was talking about 21 club. I was going to say, this sounds crazy. Oh, Let's move on to 21 club service. Now he mixed these two reviews together. It's very confusing. Okay. Yeah. yeah Sorry. Yeah. Excuse me. I misspoke. <sighs> okay. Recommended dishes, blue corn salmon cakes, obviously grilled tostada with black beans and mango salsa, white bean and roasted tomato soup, shrimp and garlic tamale, grilled swordfish with cilantro pesto, blue corn coated, Fried chicken salad, pozole, bonellos, gingerbread ice cream sandwich, raspberry custard. Mm. <sighs> Remember, okay. raspberry was also having a big moment in the 90s. Yes, and white chocolate for that matter. I bet there's probably raspberry cooey all over that raspberry custard. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even believe it. My head hurts. I can't believe I made it through that whole thing. My face. Oh God, I feel like I'm going to pass out. That was really, really funny. <sighs> it sure was. Ryan is a nut. I told you you were going to laugh more at that than at this Holocaust documentary you've been watching. Yeah. Although you're not all the way through right. it. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, should we talk about, um, you know what? You want to talk about our favorite top three 1990s ingredients or dishes? <laughs> well, we've already covered all of them. Raspberry coulis, fruit salsas, um, risotto. Yes. <laughs> Okay, that's three for you. Stop naming things now immediately. Um, <clears throat> favorite 90s things that were popular. Vidalia onion salad oh, yeah. dressing. For sure. Delicious. Amazing. Um, bruschetta. <laughs> yes. And chicken alfredo. Mmm, that sounds great. I also, now I want a profiterol, too. So let's... Oh, yeah, profiterol. That's huge. Or, I'm sorry, I left out something. A lava, molten lava chocolate cake. Oh, yeah. The greatest cake ever made. <laughs> Let's see the Cameron documentary about that. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on Life's Bag, when Nicole talks about Ken Burns' five-part epic on lava cake. What was it? <laughs> Ten hours. No stone is left unturned. <laughs> oh, man, that was really funny. Um, okay, well, love you very much, and really looking forward to next week. Um when we finally do World War One, Yes, your favorite war. America's favorite war. <laughs> <laughs> we'll laugh, we'll cry, we'll eat a lava cake. Um, okay, Nikki, love you. Oslo pasta. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Life's a Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.